You're listening to Alcoholics Alive, where recovered members of Alcoholics Anonymous share their experience on how they live AA as a way of life. None of our participants get paid or speak for AA. Here are your hosts, Shank and Wayne. Shank, we are fast, fastly. Is that a word? Fat, fastly? That's probably not a word. Dadgummit. We, that's not a good word either. We are, uh, we are quickly. Rapidly. We are rapidly approaching 2,000 followers on Instagram. I don't know if that's good or not, but we are. And we had several, uh, we've had several new listeners. So that have been, been joining. So if, uh, if you're new and this is your first time listening, just know that we are recovered members of Alcoholics Anonymous, and we uh, we started the podcast to try to keep things uh, have a focus on the simple message laid out in the book Alcoholics Anonymous, and we bring on AA members that have had the experience of the twelve steps that can uh, discuss how they practice AA as a way of life. So we're here to uh, try to be helpful and to provide some content that maybe helps somebody. Uh, grow spiritually and help them stay sober. And if you're out there and you are a follower, keep following, maybe get some other people to follow, share the podcast with others. We do actually have a TikTok. I thought you were just saying that all this time, all these seasons, but. Do you think I would, you didn't know that? No. Shank. You think I would make that up? I think you would just like casually drop it in conversation, you know, just say, yeah, whatever. Twilight, you think, TikTok. You think I just casually just lie all the time about stuff, don't you? Just white lie. Just bend the truth a little bit. It's not true. It's all, it's all true. We're on TikTok at Alcoholics Alive. We're on threads now at Alcoholics Alive. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. We are on Instagram and uh, we're on some other things that people don't even know about. Worldwide. Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeart. Our guest is looking at us like, good <laughs> Lord, you two get on with it. All right. Hey, we are excited about our guest. Um, she comes to us from Inwood, West Virginia. Now, a lot of people, when they say West Virginia, say by God, West Virginia or West Virginia, by God, <laughs> something like that. I don't do all that. It's just West Virginia. So Rachel is our guest. Uh, hey, Rachel. Hey, Wayne. Hey, Shane. Thanks for having me on. It's great to be with you guys. I, I love to listen on my hour and a half commute to work. So it's really cool to be able to participate today. Nice. Thank you. Thank you. Tell us, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, I'll give you the stats. Um, My Friday date is February 5th of 2014. I'm actively sponsored and I do have a home group. We meet on Tuesday nights in Winchester, Virginia, which is only about 20 minutes across the border from from where I live. So like you said, I recently moved up here and so um, had lots of changes in my routine and in my schedule, Um, but getting getting plugged in and getting planted and um, I was kind of like reflecting on like, what, what is my experience with Alcoholics Anonymous? And 
Um, the truth is, is I started drinking when I was 14. I had my first drink and um, my first drink was of the alcoholic variety, right? My parents don't drink, um, not because they're alcoholic, because they're just non-alcoholics who don't drink. And um, I was at this 21-year-old guy's mom's basement. Okay, let's just start off there. That's where we're coming in hot, 14 years old, you know. There's like water dripping down from the piping. Um, and <laughs> this guy is like, you've drank before, right? And I'm like, yeah, I drink <laughs> all, the all the time. What, are you, what do you mean? You know, and he's like, oh, there's this great, there's this great game. It's called Edward Fortingham. Oh. Like, I love games. I love to drink. Let's do it. And so my first drink, I had two 40 ounces of Old English taped to my hand. And I could not use my hands until they were emptied and I smashed the two 40 ounces together. So that was my first drink. You know what I mean? Just Damn. like coming in hot, you know? And um, I feel like that <laughs> that's my drinking. You know what I mean? Like I never experienced moderate drinking. I know that's not everyone's experience in Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, but I'm someone like I got that taste. I immediately blacked out on my first drink, woke up the next day. And I was like, man, I was great. Like, I actually wasn't hungover, you know? I mean, my best friend at the time was mortified. She was like, I can't believe you did that. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that was crazy. I mean, (laughs) I don't know what got into me, you know? And, like, I just took off to the races, right? And, um, you know, call it a weekend warrior, right? That's how it started. You know, I was a 14 year old girl, I would play, Hey, mister, you know, and stand outside the liquor store. Hey, mister, do you think you could buy me the mad dog? You know? And like, that's kind of how I would get my, my drinks. And, um, it progressed, right. I mean, alcoholism, the book talks about it, it's progressive illness, you know, and I'm someone that one was never enough, you know? And by the time I was 15, 16, I was sent to AA meetings, you know, I mean, my, my poor parents, had no idea what was going on, sent me to therapy. Therapy was like, she, she's a potential alcoholic. Um, she oh, has yeah. alcoholic tendencies. <laughs> <laughs> so it's sort of like, you know, I'm in AA meetings at 16 years old. And I'm like, man, everybody here's a loser. Like, you know, they can't keep jobs. They've lost husbands and wives and children, you know? And like, I just, I wasn't ready. Right. And um, I proceeded to drink alcoholically for like seven years. You know, I mean, there's sometimes I get a little envious when I when people talk about like their progression into alcoholism and they like talk about they slowly gave away things or slowly lost things. It's not my experience. I mean, I was like bottom of the barrel right away. (laughs) (laughs) Just like getting arrested, parents crying, sister having to get multiple locks on her bedroom door because I'm like going in there and pawning all of her things. You know, I mean, for me the success, it was just rapid, you know, and what's kind of crazy is like, I thought it was normal, you know, I'm like, all my friends are doing this, you know, like my parents would be like, why are you doing this? I'm like, everybody's doing that, you know, and like, no, it's just the degenerates I was hanging out with. That's who was doing that, you know, <laughs> and um, the relief that it gave me, right? I mean, that's really what I was chasing. It's just this like, indescribable relief um that when I drank I could do anything I could be anyone I could go anywhere you know and nothing was going to stop me from that and um the the short of it is is at 19 years old 
Um, I mean, you know, parents are mortified, don't know what to do with me. So they say, you're either going to rehab or you're, you're getting out, you know? And I'm like, it's February. It's actually funny. My kind of first real sobriety date is exactly four years apart from my current sobriety date. And it was February in Maryland. It's like snowing. I'm like, I'm going to go to rehab. You know what I mean? I'm not made for the street. Some people are. I know I'm not. <laughs> I, just, I know that about myself. Like, I can't, I can't right. make it out there, you know? So I go to rehab, 12-step base. They talk about the steps. Give me a big book. And um, they say, all right, go to Florida. You're going to go to a sober house in Florida. I'm like, Florida? Okay. Jackpot. You know what I mean? I get to get away yeah. from from all the people and places and things that they tell you yeah. rehab, you mm-hmm. know, move yeah. down to Florida. No Actually, snow. No snow. My sober house was like a mile and a half from the beach. I mean, it was just like top, top tier, you know, Those, nice. you know, just very, 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 very nice. But I mean, you know, they set me up to succeed. They're like, get a sponsor. You have to get slip signs, all this stuff. Right. And um, I actually went to a different fellowship for a little bit. Didn't stay sober. And um, Books a Million, which is where I was working, closed. And the security parking lot guy drives around and he's like, you seem like you're having a bad day. You want to go get a drink? And I'm like, hell yeah, I want to go get a drink, you know, and back out there. Right. And so mm-hmm. with this sobriety date, I mean, it was, you know, three years of, of drinking in Florida and, and my sponsor mm-hmm. talks about it. And I just I mean, I rem- I'll never forget the first time I heard her speak at a meeting and she, I didn't really hear much, but I heard her describe her drinking as pathetic and disgusting, you know, and like that's what Florida was for me. And um, I, I like wish I can say I remembered AA existed and I went to a meeting and I got help. No, I got arrested. I was committing felonies. You know, I'm like this like 86 pound white girl driving around a Corolla in the hood and I get pulled over. You know what I mean? I'm going to jail. Like that's, that's, that's it. Right. So got arrested, went to jail, had a bunch of stuff happen um, in that kind of little time frame and and wound up back at that same rehab up on the Eastern shore. And they told me the same stuff, you know, go to a meeting every day, get a sponsor, get service, work the steps. And for whatever reason, I mean, I was just so tired, man. I was like, all right. And that's what I did, you know? And I feel like that, that's how I not just arrived to AA, but this sobriety is that I was just so tired and so defeated. It wasn't even that I wanted to really stop drinking. I just was so broken that when this person who drank the way I did was like, look, man, I mean, she, she, she still says stuff like this to me today. Cause I'm still wired the same. She's like, do you want to feel better? I'm like, I do. She's like, all right, well, let's do the spiritual work and you'll feel better. You know? And I'm like, okay, am I hurting enough that I'll do it? And And so that's just kind of, been an overview of my experience all right well we're glad you got sober now um (laughs) man yeah i've never played edward is it edward's 40 hand Mm -hmm. kind of like edward scissorhands like the movie that's right yeah well yeah i'm tracking with you i i I think that might have been a little after my time (laughs) um, that and and people would ask me there, like my one reservation coming in Alcoholics Anonymous, not to like derail too much, was I wanted to drink like a lady. I wanted to have a mm. glass, glass of wine with some pasta. And um, my sponsor pointed out the only time I drank wine was out of a bag while somebody's slapping Slap it. Slap that bag, girl. You know what I mean? Well, I'm, I'm, like, 
I'm down with that now. <laughs> yeah. If it didn't include a, a beer bong, I guess some people call that a funnel or a quarter. Mm-hmm. I, I've never played it with alcohol. So uh, that's about the extent of my, my drinking games. All right. Shank, what's the uh, topic? Today, our topic is bold as an owl. So right. uh, some may say boiled as an owl. And I would probably not say it that way this entire podcast. So uh, boiled. Boiled is correct. Um, all right. So this comes from page starts at page 157 in the book Alcoholics Anonymous. This is the fourth edition from 2001. And it says, from what you tell me, I know more than ever I can't stop. At this, both the visitors burst into a laugh, said the future fellow anonymous. Damn little to laugh about that I can see. The two friends spoke of their spiritual experience and told him about the course of action they carried out. He interrupted. I used to be strong for the church, but that won't fix it. I've prayed to God on hangover mornings and sworn that I've never touched another drop, but by nine o'clock, I'd be bold as an owl. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. Yep. Do you know what that means? So I was going to lie and be like, oh, yeah, I remember when I first read this portion with my sponsor, I asked her what it meant and she told me, but (laughs) that's that's a total lie. Well, if you if you've been listening and for anyone out there who's been listening, your sponsor could have just lied and told you the first thing that came to their mind. (laughs) Listen, Shane, (laughs) all those folks have stayed sober and I made a global amends to them. So (laughs) what does it mean? Okay, so in in this time, kind of by the 1930s, the the phrase "boiled as an owl" was it's already it was already a colloquial expression. So, um, it means um, okay, the word "boiled" was conflated with being intoxicated. So, okay. if if you were to say, it makes like sense, you were, yeah, you were intoxicated as an owl okay so it meant to be drunk or intoxicated it can be likened maybe to bloodshot or glazed eyes of someone who's consumed too much alcohol and it also could come from the association of owls and drunkenness in the 18th century so apparently owls that was just a, a a mascot of drunkenness Right. Well, an owl looked drunk. And especially if you like surprise an owl with light, they they'll they like do this. You I'm can't so see sad that, that, that you, you all cannot but... see that. <laughs> so I, it makes sense to me. Boiled as an owl. Okay, so something that may work better for us uh would be drunk as a skunk. I like now, that. That probably I, needs its own definition. Okay. Like, I'm not exactly sure what drunk as a skunk means, except I know it probably means boiled as an owl, too. I feel like when yes. you say drunk as a skunk, everybody's like, oh, okay, that person's hammered, you know, or that person's <laughs> trash. Boiled yeah. as an owl, I'm not so sure. I don't know. Boiled as an owl is one that I actually immediately knew what they were talking about mm-hmm. i don't but drunk as a skunk is pretty good yeah 
<laughs> so I think that that for us, that would be the, uh, the animal that we would be able to. Yeah. Kind of directly. Identify with. Mm-hmm. Although skunk. I'm, I've never seen anytime I've scared a skunk. It hasn't been, it hasn't looked drunk. That's for sure. In my opinion. Thank you. No, Maybe it's because they kinda... smell. Maybe that's what it is. They smell. They smell bad. Drunks might smell bad. Oh, I like that. There we go. <sighs> I know yeah. I smell bad. Yeah. So, hmm. Jay Wayne, what is this? What is this little segment telling us? What is this little bold well, the reading. segment in the book? Yeah, the reading. The Well, what it means to me is these these two guys Bill and Bob who were I guess Bob was only sober a few weeks Bill had been sober six seven months and they realized they needed to go help somebody so they immediately start trying to find people in the hospital to share their experience with and yeah, this guy is, happens to be a, somebody that they went and talked to. I think it's it's interesting that they were not sitting around worrying about their warrants and their uh, you know wife leaving them and not having jobs. And I'm sure they were worried about that, but that was kind of secondary to sharing what you know the release and the the freedom they had gotten from basically giving their life to God and doing a confession and trying to, to make amends to people. Um, so they were, they were trying to carry the message of that guy that I love Bill Dotson. I mean, Bill Dotson was the guy that said he was boiled as an owl mm-hmm. <laughs> to put it in context. He had been in the hospital eight times in six months for drunkenness. He would get drunk after leaving the hospital, he would make promises and people would like threaten him and give him ultimatums. And he would drink on the way home from the hospital. He tried religion and none of that stuff kept him sober. And to top it all off, he had beaten up two nurses in the hospital, which I can identify with a little bit. (laughs) I mean, just being that drunk and kind of crazy and violent Okay, so so he was the corker. He he's the original corker. Okay, he's the, OG. the OG corker. He's the corker. Yeah, we covered that. He is the corker. I know what that and, means. I listened to that one, and I now the, know the nurse called him a corker, meaning that he is a he's a excellent candidate for what Bill and Bob were bringing to him. And you know what? He, they happen to be the first person that first people that he talked to that spoke his language. They just shared their experience with him about their drinking and their, the hopelessness of it. And he was able to identify. And when they explained the solution, I don't think he completely bought into it right then, but you know, he, it was something that he could, he could try and live with. And heck, he basically took the steps there in the hospital and stayed sober the rest of his life. Well, that's a pretty good segue into a question that I have for both of you. Um, why why won't an alcoholic decide and then take the action to get sober from a non-alcoholic? Mm, that's a good question, Shank. You know, <laughs> I mean, 
Because, I mean, if I would listen to a well-intentioned person that wasn't alcoholic, I would have gotten sober at 15 or 16. You know what I mean? Like, if if that worked for an alcoholic my type, I would have done it. Why Why would I, you know, go on to have five or six more years of horrific, you know, drinking? And and I think just, just from my experience, I mean, one, the well-intentioned medical professionals I was seeing, they were getting paid to see me. And that was something I was very aware of. You know, it wasn't my yep. money. It was, it was my family's money. But I knew... <laughs> This person wasn't just here um, to to 100% help me, right? Had no other motives other than to help me. They were getting paid. And it just was like, you know, getting a massage, right? Like I pay someone to give me a massage. So I go to therapy to talk about everything other than my drinking. And then I come back a week later, you know, and I do it again, right? And it's sort of like, it's not that I didn't value their opinion or, or think that, it wasn't insightful. I just had this mentality that nobody ever taught me, but you don't have what I have. You don't get it. If if you knew how much relief I got and how much power I got, to be honest, from drinking, because that's a big, big thing for me is just how powerful I felt when I drank. Um, how could you possibly um, instruct me on how to get well? <laughs> you know, because to you, it's just, you know, something that you drink to kind of decompress. You know, that that just kind of gives you a little warm feeling in your stomach. But to me, it it temporarily solves or uh, masks every emotional disturbance I have, every life problem that I have. Um, it's a temporary fix to all that. And it wasn't until I started speaking to members of Alcoholics Anonymous, but I didn't want to preface, which I, which I had to be open to listen right? Because I had been in and out of AA for my whole drinking, you know, but I didn't stay sober, right? Like I had to be in a place of surrender and willingness. Um, But I mean, I think about kind of what I just talked about, like, you know, coming in Alcoholics Anonymous in 2014, my sponsor didn't have to convince me. She didn't have to, man. Right. I mean, she told me her story and I was like, you know, she was passing out on rooftops of DC trap houses. I get it. You know what I mean? <laughs> like she has what I have. And when she asked me that question of, do you want to feel better or do you want to live a different way? When I answered that, yes, it meant I was going to have to do something different. It, it didn't mean I had to have a good attitude about it or I had to be super pumped. It just, you know, it's, it's sort of like, I, I kind of remind people, I'm like, you asked me for my help. Do you want it or not? You know, mm-hmm. if, if you don't want it, be my guest, do whatever you want. I don't care. You know, but yeah. when I, when I call, even today, I called my sponsor last week having a mental breakdown. And I said, I want your help. Please tell me what to do. And I went and I did it. Cause I know that she knows. Yep. Yeah. It's one of the key I mean, obviously, foundations of our program is one alcoholic helping another. And that that language of the heart and the identification that comes by an actual alcoholic sharing with another alcoholic is way different than the non-alcoholic or a a paid person or a family member. Um, Matter of fact, Bill Dotson describes it perfectly in his story when he describes how 
Bill and Bob talked to him. He says, for an hour, the two friends told him about their drinking experiences. Over and over, he would say, that's me, that's me, I drink like that. The man in the bed was told of the acute poisoning from which he suffered, how it deteriorates the body of an alcoholic and warps his mind. There was much talk about the mental state preceding the first drink. Yes, that's me, said the sick man, the very image. You fellows know your stuff all right, but I don't see what good it'll do. You fellows are somebody. I was once, but I'm a nobody now. From what you tell me, I know more than ever I can't stop. So he identified with the hopelessness and the illness why they were sharing their experience. I think that's actually something that's kind of missing a lot in AA nowadays because we want to just talk about like circumstances and problems and emotions instead of the hopelessness of the, the, the mental condition and the physical allergy and just the simple fact that we don't have any defense against the first drink. Doesn't matter how much money I yeah, have or I mean don't have. That is something that I know I have misstepped on. I mean, you know, when I had a year sober, I was ready to convert everybody to Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, I was like, everybody needs 12 steps in their <laughs> life, you know, and um, I had my experience with that. And, and I have really learned that, like, it doesn't matter what the circumstances of my life are. Can I control and enjoy my drinking? Yes or no. When yep. I try to stop, can I stay stopped? Yes or no. You know, and it's sort yep. of like from there, that's where I, where I get moving. Yep. I think it's, I love the part where he says that when they start talking about spiritual stuff and what they did, he's like, well, I used to be strong for the church and I was religious and all that. And they kind of tell him, well, that's, that's not what we're talking about. So, Shank, what do you think, what's the difference between remaining spiritually active and becoming religious? Well, I kind of think of this almost the opposite way a little bit because I hear so many people in Alcoholics Anonymous meetings who will tell you that they are an ex-insert whatever religion here or a recovering insert religion here and you know alcoholics anonymous does not uh have anything to say about religion you know but it is not a religious program so what i really like is that if you keep on in um bill dodson's story if you keep on reading you know he says like i used to be strong for the church which I just think it's a hilarious sentence, honestly. Like <laughs> I can relate to it. Like I too used to be strong for the church, um, but that won't it fix work. it. You know, I've <laughs> prayed to God on hangover mornings. I've sworn I've never touched it again. Just like yeah. all of these things, um, and then comes to this realization: like, oh, well, maybe you're right. You know, God ought to be able to do anything. So you know, I can relate to that in a lot of ways remaining spiritually active for me is continuing to show up to Alcoholics Anonymous and to help others. You know, it's not that I get to go sit on the spiritual mountaintop and now I'm better than everyone else because I've worked at 12 steps or I've helped X amount of people or I'm 
chairing my home group or whatever the case may be. Um, it's just that, you know, I'm still willing to try to humble myself and help someone else, like continue to keep learning. And I've made a lot of mistakes in Alcoholics Anonymous. I've, I've been more spiritually active at times and I've been less at times, but I do always make sure to seek that relationship with the higher power. Um, yeah. Rachel, you got any thoughts on what, what's it mean to be spiritually active to you? My computer cut out for a second. What'd you say? What's it, what's, uh, what's it mean for you to be spiritually active and what what are your thoughts on that? Um, for a long time, I thought being spiritually active was attending every fellowship event of Alcoholics Anonymous Mm -hmm. and having every service position that was possibly available. And, and, you know, I'm grateful for that experience, right? Because I did that for a long time. And I avoided um, what it really meant to, to seek a power greater than myself. But it taught me a lot of lessons. You know, and it taught me that, you know, trying to be somebody in Alcoholics Anonymous wasn't sustainable for for long term sobriety. And it pushed me into the direction of, for me, what it really means to spiritually, you know, be fit, which is how am I living in, in every area of my life, not just in the area where members of Alcoholics Anonymous see me, you know, but am I being of service? Um, to my husband? Am I being of service to my family? Am I being a, a worker at work? Um, and am I still showing up for Alcoholics Anonymous, showing up where I can't be seen? I mean, my sponsor gave me direction to be of service to Alcoholics Anonymous and its members and potential members and get no recognition since I had like, she gave it to me at five years sober. I didn't listen. I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. Whatever, whatever you say. <laughs> I was like, I'll give that a try. Right. Um, but really right around seven years, you know, is, is really when I was like, man, can I just be a member amongst members? Can I really just <laughs> go, go out and, and, you know, try to be useful in the way that God intends me to be versus in the way that I want to be, you know, recognized or seen. And it's hard. I mean, you know, I am someone where I get, I call it being distracted. I get distracted by shiny things in Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, who's popular, who isn't popular, who's going to this meeting, who's not going to that meeting, you know, and it's just distractions of, of what my real purpose is here. A lot of, <clears throat> a lot of temptation out there, Rachel. <laughs> a lot, a lot, of, lot of froth. <laughs> a lot you know, of froth. a lot of times for me, it means just doing the thing that I know uh, helping that person this morning, uh, I went to the women's maximum security prison. I got in amazing. Love it. No one showed up for the meeting probably because they didn't announce it. But when I went into the meeting, one of the guards in the gatehouse, you know, just casually mentioned like, Oh, I need one of those meetings. And I told her, so when I come back through, like, I'm happy to give you my number. <laughs> now, this is someone that I I saw when I was incarcerated at this prison. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to me, it should, will she ever call me? I don't know. I gave her my number on the way out. I said, hey, you know, I don't work here. Um, I'm just a member of Alcoholics Anonymous trying to help people that want to quit drinking. Like, do you have a desire to quit drinking? And she said, I don't know. But, you know, do I really do? How much do I care about my sobriety? Who am I willing to help? And the answer just really has to be 
anyone that asks for help. Yeah. That's right. And, and, and I, we have to seek these people out. You know, I don't just sit back in my, in my home group and wait for people to show up. That's not what Bill and Bob did. They went to Bill Dodson. They called the hospital. They said, Hey, do you have, do you have a prospect for us? Got a corker. Got a she corker. Says, yeah, we've got a corker. <laughs> that is a that is an interesting fact that that they they were searching the alcoholic out that needed help that wanted help. Yeah, Bill Dotson didn't. He didn't call the intergroup hotline or <laughs> uh, go to the meeting app guide. Mm-hmm. Nothing wrong with any of that, but they didn't have that back then. So I mean, these guys sought him out. That's uh, that's pretty strong. That's a good example, Shank of. Um, the lady went from having custody over you to now you may be helping her. That's a pretty strong. <laughs> maybe we'll see what happens. It was kind of those times that I'm like, ah, oh, maybe she won't call, but those are the always, always the ones that call though, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like the idea of being spiritually active. I think it, it, I think we've been trying to kind of communicate some of that on, previous podcasts. And it's one of the reasons we started the podcast was because when people in AA think about being spiritually active or they think about being in the program, they immediately just associate it with going to meetings and maybe some activity, AA activity. And, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous is a way of life. Mm-hmm. It's not yeah. just, it's not just the meeting. It's, it's a, it's a combination of a lot of stuff of, of, you know, of, if you're going to follow the steps of prayer, meditation, looking for opportunities to help people continually taking our inventory and correcting mistakes as we go along and trying to pass on what's been given us to others. And that has very little to do with going to a meeting. Mm-hmm. Matter, I mean, I'm not, Problem is, people here don't go to meetings. That's not what what I'm saying. That's I mean, not. I, yeah, that's I, right. We got to go to meetings, but but the job, our job, is to help other people and try to live for God. And you know, if I'm in a meeting three hours a day every day, I may miss some opportunities to actually practice the program. <laughs> I, I <laughs> yeah. mean, it's, it's you know, interesting. So moving beyond that, okay, so we have established that, you know, uh, one alcoholic talking to another with our first question and then moving on, like spiritually active versus being religious. Okay, so now I've joined AA. Check. Y'all have asked me to do that. Fine. I worked okay. the steps. Y'all asked me to do that. Great. I have a sponsor. I worked the steps. Spiritual Amazing. experience, awakening, have a spiritual awakening. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to remain spiritually active. Great. Um, now you want me to go to hospitals, jails, prisons, and meetings just for the rest of my life. Like, oh my goodness. What an order. Wow. I can't go through with it. <laughs> I mean, what gives man? Yeah. I mean, I know like, and this is where I'm just really grateful for strong sponsorship, right? Like when I got sober, uh, my sponsor, I mean, we met up at least once a week. We read the book once a week. We worked the steps, you know, 
she was taking me to meetings for like my first couple weeks sober. And then she said, now go make friends. I'm not taking you to a meeting anymore, yep. which really hurt my feelings. I was like, oh no, <laughs> she doesn't like me. What am I going to do? Um, and you didn't know? fire her immediately? I didn't fire her. I just talked to my friends about it and asked them, did your sponsor tell you this? My sponsor did. And they were like, yes, yes, Rachel. <laughs> you know. Um, but she told me, she was like, you have a car. Take people to meetings. Yep. You you have two weeks sober, a month sober. I want you when someone raises their hand and they say that they've got, you know, three days sober or they get a 24 hour trip. She was like, you go pick them up and you take them to the meeting. And and I remember having like six months sober and, and I didn't have anybody to sponsor. And I was like, oh, God, why does, you know, nobody wants me to sponsor them, yada, yada, yada. And I started just reading a book with people, you know, like I wasn't giving them suggestions or anything like that. We were just sitting down and highlighting, okay, the book says to say this prayer, let's do that prayer. You know, the book says, you know, we take it this action, you take this action, you know, and I remember at one point, my sponsor was like, get an HNI, right? Get a hospitals and institutions commitment, you know, and I was still within my first year, so I couldn't quote unquote chair one. And so I went with people, right? Like I, I wouldn't speak at them. I would just go with people and I would just sit during the meeting and I would try to talk to people. Um, some places you can give your number, some places you can't, you know, and it really instilled this thing. In, and to me, kind of like we talked about before, right? Like my role is not to to sit in my favorite meeting and and wait for somebody to come up to me and ask for help. I got to go, I got to go and find them, you know, and like here, moving up here, it was one of the first things I did. I mean, I found out who, you know, who kind of heads up hospitals, institutions and, and, you know, where, where do they need me? And I remember when I was asking her, she said, well, most people want to do, you know, this treatment center or that treatment center, but we really need somebody at the homeless shelter. And I'm like, let's do it. Sign me up, you know? And she's like, also. Oh, like we need people for the um, juvenile detention center, but you got to go through a screening process. Are you willing to do that? I'm like, sign me up, you know, mm-hmm. like let's, let's get to it because I don't know about y'all. It's, it, it's so easy for me to get complacent when, when the immediate fires of early sobriety. And I mean, from a day to five years, cause I had some emergencies at, you know, like three <laughs> years sober and five years sober. Once that kind of, you know, calms down, it's so easy to just, chill out you know and like ride ride the wave of uh resting on my laurels until I'm in so much pain and I'm like sponsor here's my inventory sponsor here's my secret you know but like I've learned just you know having a commitment to to get out there and go to the places people don't want to go you know anybody will go to a rehab anybody anybody of course you know but to go to a homeless shelter some people don't feel comfortable doing that which is fine if that's you that's okay but for me, it's like, I have found that I am most useful in those environments. And so those opportunities present themselves and I take them and, I, and I'm eternally grateful for it. I, I felt pretty uncomfortable at a detox I went to a couple of weeks ago. It was, <laughs> but it, they were highbrow. A little bougie, wasn't it? A little bougie. <laughs> and someone was hooked up to a vitamin pole with sunglasses on. And it, I was like, whoa. A vitamin uh, pole. Was, like, wow, was that an IV drip? Are... Yeah, really. It was an IV drip. I was like, um, okay. A vitamin pole. I love it. Listen, I don't know. I've never been a. No, that's the excellent. That's term what it for. is. Vitamin yeah. pole. 
Mm-hmm. Well, didn't know. I think they're all still sober after hearing your talk. Well, maybe <laughs> they didn't drink for that little bit. They were like, "Oh God, I'm but, so glad that didn't happen to me." <laughs> yeah, it's it's our responsibility though, and our 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 obligation if we get sober and have a spiritual awakening to continue to stay involved in the, in the program to help other people, just like somebody helped us. Um, well, yeah, this just like reminds me of the 12th step. You're right. Yeah. What's that say? Actually carry the message. All of this, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Mm. You know, it also tells us in the book that practical experience shows that nothing will so much ensure immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics. It works when other activities fail. What more do you, you know, need to know? So you know what that tells us? Don't try other activities. <laughs> just just help people. Help al- mm-hmm. Try to help alcoholics. And you might be hard-headed like me, and you can try all those activities. And if you're lucky, you might hit a brick wall with it and say, right. maybe, maybe this isn't it. You know, maybe, maybe this isn't what I'm supposed to be dedicating all of my time to, you know, and, yeah. and, and where else? you know, can I, can I do that? And, um, you know, I just think about like all of the men and women in Alcoholics Anonymous, who I mean, took my calls at three in the morning that, you know, picked me up or hung out with me or took me. So many people took me on 12 step calls. They were just like, Rachel, don't say anything. Just get in the car, just come hang out with us, but don't say anything, you know? And I'm like, okay, all right. You know, like they showed me, it didn't matter if you had a month, a year, 10 years, 20 years, right? That that um, kind of what I like to call like heroes and alcoholics anonymous to me, just personally to me, um, you know, they have 10 plus years and they're still out here doing it. You know, they don't, they might say, you know, hi to me at a meeting and get caught up on my day, but then they're walking up to somebody they've never seen before. You know, yeah. they're not just like having a good time with me. That's why we get dinner before the meeting is so they can have a good time with Rachel. You know, <laughs> but it's like, and I watch them and I watch <laughs> that and I see that and I'm like, man, maybe that's what I should be doing. Yeah. Well, one of the things too, I think I've learned specifically over the last several years, I do not allow myself to say that, let's see, that I'm doing intensive work with other alcoholics by being on a committee by being even being um I'm a part of a bridging the gap committee which yes I'm helping alcoholics that are going from treatment get integrated with someone from AA but that is not intensive work with other alcoholics like I have to remember that being on all these committees if you listen to this podcast you know there was a period of time that I was out here doing all the service I was gold star miss AA and um <laughs> You know, like it was, it, I really, my mind was warped and I really believed. And what I was hearing from people on these committees were we're helping alcoholics so much by putting this on and, and by having a scholarship that we're not going to tell anyone exists and, yep. you know, just different yep. things. That's... And it was a great time. And there need to be people doing those things. And I still participate in service in that way. But that is not 
intensive work with other alcoholics. Yeah. It's not. No. And, and I'll, we, I was just going to say, Shank, my sponsor has always told me there are no gold stars in Alcoholics Anonymous, Rachel. I, so, so if that's what you're shooting for, you're never going to get it. And you're but, probably missing the boat. You know? But in some meetings, there are gold medallions. <laughs> the gold medallions. Yeah, medallions. Yep. Well, if you're not if you're not taking on the responsibility of of trying to help alcoholics, and it doesn't have to be sponsorship. Um, it's selfish. Mm-hmm. I mean, to 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 st- stay in AA and have had a spiritual awakening, had your life turned around, and then not to share that with somebody else is selfish. To get the the gift of sobriety through AA and then to leave AA to do something else is. It's just selfish. I mean, I, I mean, I, I don't know how else to say it. Um, and going off and joining a religion and ditching AA with the idea of helping other people, that that rarely works for people either. So uh, stay well, in our thoughts and trying to help people. In the book, too, that if you have other religious things you need to tend to, tend to those also. Yeah. Right. You, you know? Yeah. So you can for be- me. I add that in and I do the things that I want to do and learn about the things I want to do that has to do with religion. And it's amazing and great. And I love it. But I also tend to Alcoholics Anonymous and the things that I need to be doing and participating in that too every day. Right. And I mean, I have like, so I don't, I'm not anti-religion or or anything like that. Um, But in my own experience, I was doing this 200 hour yoga teacher certification, right? And and you really get down into this, you know, eight limb path of yoga and the spiritual nature of yoga and what it means and how you're supposed to, you know, access it and use it and all this stuff. And I remember doing this certification and it was take, it's 200 hours, you know, I mean, it's taken up lots of my time. And I remember one day I just like woke up, I was on a silent retreat, right? It's supposed to be silent. Oh, me silent, right? I have this outburst. I mean, I start screaming. I'm like, F this, F that, da, 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 da. And I'm like, because I'm not treating the spiritual condition that I suffer from. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, and I had to tell them, hey, like, I need to take time to call people, to go to meetings, to have my time set up for my prayer and meditation, not just what you guys are trying to teach me. And it doesn't mean that that was wrong, what they were teaching me. It's just another tool. It's just another avenue to go to. But at the end of the day, like if I'm not, I I can't treat my alcoholism with the eight limb path of yoga. I just can't, (laughs) I can't, you know, I can't do it. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with doing the eight path forward of yoga or being in a member of a church. I mean, there Mm -hmm. doesn't conflict with any of that. Right. There's time for all of it if that's what you know you want to do. And A just makes you a better church member. A yeah. makes you a better yoga instructor or receiver or whatever <laughs> you're doing there. Um, so yeah, this the, it's important to help people and to stay spiritually active. Mm-hmm. Shank, let's move on to big book shrapnel. All right. Are y'all ready for the big book shrapnel? We are ready. What do you got Here for us? Here we go. All right. The first big book shrapnel is Two Flagging Spirits. 
and it's from page 53. Hmm. So it says, Arrived at this point, we were squarely confronted with the question of faith. We couldn't duck the issue. Some of us had already walked far over the bridge of reason toward the desired shore of faith. The outlines and the promise of the new land had brought luster to tired eyes and fresh courage to flagging spirits. Friendly hands had stretched out in welcome. We were grateful that reason had brought us so far. Two flagging spirits. <laughs> All right, Rachel, what do you think about that? Well, I have a little note in my yeah. I have my I have my book and I have have my little note of where my sponsor instructed me to highlight this and make a note. And so I so did. So if you're listening, she's shown us her book. She's got highlights and notes all in it. It's pretty pretty spectacular looking. All right. What do you got? So, so what she told me was logic has brought me this far, but logic can only take me so far. Eventually I will need faith. And you know, I feel like it's sort of like rhyme and reason uh, can can lead me to certain places, but at some point I have to find faith and 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 you know be motivated um, to to seek that out, right? And where my spirit might be unenthusiastic or tired or bored, um, it's like at some point I have to seek something out um, to hopefully change that. So that's just kind of what I got from it. So Rachel, do you know what flagging means? No, I do not me, know the official definition. <laughs> okay, Wayne, you say you it don't know what, either. No, I mean I got I I got an idea of what flagging spirit means, but I I I'm curious to see what you got for us. Okay, so when someone's spirits are flagging, it means they're becoming tired, less motivated, or they're losing hope. So it's a decrease in energy or enthusiasm. Okay. Okay. So if you're, if you're like physically exhausted, emotionally drained, even like you're losing motivation. Mm Hmm. Okay. I thought I I kind of thought that, but I thought it was also more like you're losing your spirit, like it's it's like blowing away in the wind, like it's. Flagging, you know. Come yeah, on. flagging in the wind. <laughs> flagging right. in the wind. Flagging, you know. Yeah, that's what flags do. Flagging spirits. So it's basically a spirit that's dying. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right? A spirit that's lost hope. Mm-hmm. Do you like that one? Would you like to hear a translation? Or do you already know you want to keep it? Oh, I'm calling for a translation. I'm, we need I, to know. You know. I'm a fifth grade. I love. I read at a fifth grade level. I, I didn't <laughs> know what flagging spirit means. I need something more plain language, Shank. Okay. Translate well, it for us. I have a couple. I have a couple. The one that I personally like the best is in a funk. Shh. So, you know, nice. you say someone is like in a funk. I love okay. it. Something that probably fits better to be translated to today would be like your burnout, burning out. You know? Burnout. Yeah. Yes. So that would be the outlines and the promise of the new land have brought luster to tired eyes and fresh courage to those who burn out. I can get on board with that. 
Or oh. you could say fresh courage of those that are in a funk. In a funk. Yep. I don't know. I'm a traditionalist. I don't think it needs to be changed. And I feel like now I know I'm armed with the facts. If someone mm. asks me, what does that mean? I can say, mean, being burned out, man. Yes. Everybody, everybody knows how that feels. Mm-hmm. That's right. Now we're 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 more educated to help the newcomer. <laughs> right. Okay. Write so Rachel well, wants to keep it. Well, she's got to write that in her book that burned out, so she'll remember. Here okay. we go. Add a new note. Got a pen. Uh, yep. It's going and in. Sh- going put in. Shake and Wayne next to it. I will. Uh, <laughs> Jay Wayne, you keeping I'm really it? Really doing it. I think we should. I think we should keep flagging spirits. I like. I like flagging spirits too. All right, right. then we're going to keep it. Okay, so for our big book, Shrapnel number two, we have Lunacy Commission. This is from page three. Mm -hmm. All right, and it says, we gave up our positions and off we roared on a motorcycle, the sidecar stuffed with tent, blankets, a change of clothes, and three huge volumes of a financial reference service. Our friends thought a lunacy commission should be appointed. Perhaps they were right. I'd had some success at speculation, so we had a little money, but we once worked on a farm for a month to avoid drawing on our small capital. That was the last honest manual labor on my part for many a day. Lunacy Commission. So our friends thought a lunacy commission should be appointed. So I don't have that highlighted. I don't have any notes next. Who is your sponsor? Uh oh. Oh. Um, But I feel like lunacy commission. It probably just means someone, people in charge of loony people, crazy people, you know, okay, insane people. That's what I would think. What do you think, Jay Wayne? You want to take well, a stab at it? I thought it meant that they were going to, they were, um, they felt sorry for him and knew he was crazy. So they were just going to throw him a little bit of cash to keep him alive is what I thought. <laughs> it right. It's a commission. You get a commission for selling stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I could so see it's that. Like, it's like a, uh, just a pittance that they would throw him. Oh, he, oh, Bill's crazy as hell. Lois is going with him. We're just going to give him a little bit of cash to, to tide him over. That's not what it means. Okay, so a lunacy commission historically um, refers to a legal body or group of individuals who were responsible for determining whether a person was of sound mind okay, or was a lunatic. Okay. So, so in we, a, in a, Rachel had a right on point. Mmm, that high school education, baby. That's what it'll get you. The GED is powerful. It's coming strong tonight. (laughs) Listen, so then technically, all three of us have had lunacy commissions appointed to us. It sounds that Mm -hmm. way. Right? Yes. I mean, there's probably been more than one or two people, a group of people that have taken our, when we were, before we got sober that kind of took our inventory and tried to get us somewhere or do something to us. Mm-hmm. Yep. It was a jury for Shank. Yep. And <laughs> 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 and other people. 
but yep. lunacy commission. So I did like they ever? Did they ever appoint one? No. They didn't, did they? They did not. They mm. just let him go. They just let him go. There's a side note here for everybody, people listening. There's a book that is uh, Lois Wilson's like journal while they were on this motorcycle trip. If you've never read that, you should read it. It's pretty good. To clarify, what we just read was <laughs> Bill and Lois and the sidecar. This is from Bill's story. It's something, the the title of the book's like Wife of a Motorcycle Hobo or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> it's a it's a good one. I saw it at the Bill Wilson house when I was there, a copy of it. It's pretty good. He was very clever to, on how he got in front of people. He like met Thomas Edison and Henry Ford and he would like sneak into these clubs they were at. He sounds like everyone I feel like I don't get along with an A. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's... That's why we lean towards Dr. Bob more than Bill Wilson. I know. Mm -hmm. Okay, so do y'all want to keep Lunacy Commission? I love it, and I think it's one we should bring back. We should start using it. We We should. should. Mm -hmm. All right. right. We're keeping that one. All right. So our third Big Book Shrapnel is Love Thy Neighbor as Thyself. (laughs) And this is from page 153. Um, Okay, so this is kind of a long one, but I'm going to read it for you. Read it. You are going to meet these new friends in your own community. Near you, alcoholics are dying helplessly like people in a sinking ship. If you live in a large place, there are hundreds, high and low, rich and poor. These are future fellows of Alcoholics Anonymous. Among them, you will make lifelong friends. You will be bound to them with new and wonderful ties, for you will escape disaster together and you will commence shoulder to shoulder your common journey. Then will you then you will know what it means to give of yourself that others may survive and rediscover life. You will learn the full meaning of love thy neighbor as thyself. Mm. <laughs> it's a good one. I mean, that just sounds really beautiful when you it read does. the whole paragraph. It does. And I do, yeah. Wayne and Fake, I do have that one highlighted. As oh, well. nice. Nice. That one, you know, it made the cut. And and I actually remember reading this um, with my sponsor. And I so desperately wanted to know what it meant to give yourself that others may survive and rediscover life. Like, yeah. I remember by this point in the book, in the steps, like I was like, man, I want that. Like I want some of that. Yeah. And how how do I get that? You know, and this idea of you'll learn the full meaning of love thy neighbor as thyself. You know, and I, I mean, I feel like you know, then and now, it's it's still very applicable. Of like um, the things that I want for me, and I'm not talking material things. You know, job, money, partners, all that stuff. I'm talking like an awakening of the spirit, learning what it means to give freely, giving up my time, right? Like that is, that is something that, you know, I want to share, right? And, and the things that, you know, I love and value for myself, like, you know, I got that from other people in Alcoholics Anonymous. I didn't come up with that on my own. People gave it to me, you know, and so now I need to go give it to other people who, who want it. Um, 
but that you know that paragraph is something that still is just it's so 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 I think powerful for me and you know and and sobriety yeah yeah that reading is um it does give you hope and it's really the opposite of how most of us lived before getting sober um the term love thy neighbor as thyself I mean that's probably uh, something that we all were taught as kids I'm sure we've heard somebody say they may have not been the people that said it to us might not be following it but they, but they did say it uh-huh. treat, treat others <laughs> the way you right. want to be treated right. like the golden it's rule the golden yeah, rule the golden yeah. rule yeah and this is straight out of the book of Matthew in the Bible um it's part of his Sermon on the Mount. I think is mm-hmm. one of the it's one of the things that he that Jesus said is that uh, <laughs> love thy neighbor as thyself. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I love it. Yeah, I, I love that people... entire paragraph. It's so beautiful, and mm-hmm. I do think that people, you know, since we have talked about in this episode, like AA is is. You know, we're supposed to continue to grow spiritually. It is not a religious program. We don't, you know, have any opinions or feelings about religion. But I do think, you know, it's worth saying that this is in there for a reason. And, you know, this is the golden rule. And people can understand whether or not you're religious. Like, you understand what it's saying and, and what it means. That's right. Yeah. And like our book, it says, right, like something along the lines, like we, we consult religious servants where they are right. You know what I mean? Right. Like, and, and I feel like it's, you know, take it and leave it, right? Like there are certain things in religion, I can take it or I can leave it, right? Um, that it has nothing to do with my spiritual program. But if I was to write off religion entirely, you know, I would be writing off to love thy neighbor like thyself, you know, and I don't, I don't want to write that off. Yeah, I think about the the tenth, eleventh, and twelfth step when I think about this. Mm-hmm. If we're gonna, we kind of, if we're practicing those three steps, it, this should be the result. Yeah, is that we we treat people the way that we want to be treated, or maybe even better than we want to be treated. Hey, so I want people to be be honest with me, so I am honest <laughs> with you. If you're gonna ask yeah. me a question. Well, I'm going yeah. to, not brutally honest. That's not the point, but like yeah. honest. Yeah. If you love somebody, they deserve the truth in Absolutely. a loving way. That's right. In a loving love. way. That's the key phrase there. In a loving yeah. way. Mm-hmm. In a loving way. I'm curious to see in the plain language translation, if they change this to treat others as you want to be treated or something else. Even the other one, faith without works is dead. Yeah. Straight out of the book of James. I'm curious to see if they translate that. So I don't know. More it's will funny, be Rachel, we, we've had several people on the podcast that I think actually voted in favor of the plain language book because they probably, I don't know, didn't know what they were doing. And then when we get the big book shrapnel, they're like, oh, no, you can't change that. Voted for it. No. <laughs> Two years ago or three years ago, whenever. So anyway. Yep. We'll, uh, reel so it in. We... Yeah, I'm going to reel it in. <laughs> yeah. What? Uh, so what are we going to do with this one? 
Rachel, oh, you want to keep it? Keep the original. Yeah. You no question. You don't want to translate? Oh, gee. Okay. Oh. Got to keep the original. Oh, get that out of here. All right. I'm going to keep it, Shank. We're keeping it. All right. Three for three. We are three for three. Um, well, Rachel, we appreciate you coming on and sharing your experience with us. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, you've been awesome. We we appreciate you uh, coming on. And if um, if anybody's out there is boiled as an owl tonight or today <laughs> or whenever you're listening. If you're, you're boiled as an owl or drunk as a skunk. Yep. We're love thy neighbor. <laughs> love thy neighbor as thyself. And uh, <laughs> take the 12 steps and you can become free. There you go. That's it. Thanks for listening. If you have a comment, suggestion, or just need help, you can email Shank and Wayne at freedom at alcoholicsalive.com. Remember, we're recovered members of Alcoholics Anonymous, but we do not speak for Alcoholics Anonymous, nor do we get paid. Join us next week for another great episode.